Welcome to the Digital From Day One podcast. Our aim is to build a bridge by creating content that will peak interest, spark conversations, and encourage further innovations that will ultimately build a more informed and prepared pipeline of learners headed for the 21st century workforce. Hi, my name is Brendan Dickerson, and joining me as always is Joel Nelson. Today, we are partnering with Jake Cohen, who's the program director at the Ohio State University Keenan Center for Entrepreneurship. And you'll be listening to a panel discussion with Jerry Valentine, who's a founder of Renter Mentor, Chris Asman, who's the founder of Studio, and David Graham, who's the founder of FuseMe. We will discuss the process of building entrepreneurial spirit, designing innovative human-centered solutions, and strengthening leadership skills. First off, we just love to say thank you all for joining us today, and we're excited to have you on the podcast. Before we uh, dive in, can you each just give us a quick you know, minute intro of yourself? And other than deciding to work for yourself, can you touch on maybe one of the single most important decisions you made that have contributed to your success? Yeah, definitely. So, hi guys, my name is David Graham. I'm a co-founder at FuseMe. I'm currently a freshman here at Ohio State. I'm majoring in business and I also am on the lacrosse team here. Um, and then just a little bit of background on uh, what I do. So FuseMe is an app for the whole college experience. Um, I can get more into that later. But um, just to answer your question about the, the success, one, I would say one key decision that we made early on was um, kind of just building the perfect team, uh, building people who complement your weakness and then um, as a 19 year old co uh, founder, it's been hard. Or it hasn't been hard, but, um, you want to form like credibility behind you. So early on, we formed uh, a board of directors and advisory board that have been crucial to our success. Um, they're made up of industry leaders in different fields, um, that have really been able to give us the proper expertise and guidance throughout our journey. So that's been huge for us. Um, I'd say that's our biggest factor. All right. Thank you for that. And, uh, Jerry. Uh, thank you, Joel and Brendan and Jake for um, having me on today. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, my name is Jerry Valentine. I am the founder and CEO um, of Renter Mentor, which is a social enterprise tech company that helps connect people to affordable housing. Um, we offer a platform that assists landlords and tenants through housing processes and provides them access to needed supportive services. Um, and I'm happy to dive deeper um, with you all to kind of let you know what that means and what we're building. Um, <clears throat> to answer your question, Brendan, I'll say um, just <clears throat> something that I really had to learn through this venture of um, focus on generating revenue and customers and, and your users and not pitching, you know, to like VCs. And the reason why that's important is because each pitch is basically catered towards whoever is the funder. Every pitch has some type of special tweak to it. Yes, in essence, it's the same, but there is different elements to, you know, depending on what program you're going through, what VC is or what I, and I just really think that initially the, the VC raising capital really throws founders off early on and you chase the money versus chasing building your idea and your app. And I think that has been a, the biggest lesson for me is to focus on the revenue, not the pitch. Thank you. Wonderful. And, and, and last but not certainly not least, Chris, if you can give us your answers to those questions. My name is Chris Osmond. I'm the founder and CEO of Studium. Um, I started Studium while I was a junior in the Fisher College business. I later left my senior year to pursue this full time. Um, Studium is an education technology company focused on the campus community, student life, and ultimately helping students feel like they belong within their campus community. 
do that in a variety of different ways, which I'm sure we'll kind of get into here later in the, the conversation. But biggest aid or biggest decision led to some success or help us get on the right track is kind of piggybacking off of David, um, advisors, mentors, and the right team. We recently brought a chief partnership officer on, um, who comes from Microsoft Education, been in the higher education space for 20 plus years brought our CTO on at the beginning of last year that really helped us make strides from a product development standpoint. And then from an advisory and mentor standpoint, we've got a bunch of great people who I get to connect with, bounce a lot of ideas off with, kind of act as my checks and balances in terms of making the right decisions. And whether we know it or not, uh, probably helped us steer clear of uh, a lot of wrong decisions over the last year. Wonderful. Thank you all. Great. So one thing we really wanted to touch on before we get a little bit deeper into the roles that you guys are doing is COVID. I mean, that's a current event and something that's affecting all organizations. And some of the things that we've seen now at OSU, but also, you know, throughout the Columbus community is uh, being adaptable and flexible within the way we operate. How do you focus your energy, you know, toward actionable and strategic objectives, you know, that'll contribute to the health and success of your business uh, rather than being pulled in 100 different directions as, you know, we are in this phase, this pandemic right now. So can you elaborate a little bit on that? I can start it off because we literally launched, pretty much launched our business in the pandemic, Um, even though we had did... uh, Beforehand, we had did a couple of accelerators and um, hackathons that kind of gave us some pre-seed money and things like that. And then we kind of formalized the business and made it effective uh, January 1 of 2020. So with not knowing that the pandemic was going to come and anything like that, I'll say at first it was, you know, I think everyone was a little confused on okay, what's about to happen next, especially when it comes to the housing industry, um, the stay-at-home order really affected that. But also with COVID, it really exacerbated the issue in which we were trying to solve of affordable housing and the need for more rental assistance and support, the need for streamlined processes and things like that, that these agencies um, that administer these funds, you know, were desperately, you know, they needed it before in 2019, but they really needed it in 2020. So I will say the pandemic definitely only escalated, increased, and validated our business. And in terms of figuring out during that time where to go, because we were literally in year one, in the first couple months of our business of being established officially. And when COVID hit, we were doing a lot of manual consultant work to one, validate the processes in which we were trying to make this technical framework and stuff for. But after the, you know, when the pandemic hit, we no longer could do those services in person and things like that. So that really gave me a lot of time to build and go back to a lot of folks on the development side. So it freed people up from their jobs for one. So I got access and time that I wouldn't have normally got So it just made sense for us to really focus on architecture and design. And we really, we knocked out our whole back end within that first two months, I'll say. And I think that's kind of, like I said, just the availability of what we could do uh, to be effective. We really couldn't do user validation, do a lot of our our services in terms of the consulting anymore um, during at least the first three months. So it just was pretty easy to strategically go to less focus on the development of our product. So that's kind of how we narrowed it down, if that answered the question. 
No, I did. And, and Chris and, and David, you both are students or have been students. And so I think one of the things that Jerry talked about there was uh, the impact that it may have had on the development process. So being students and you're already pulled in a hundred different directions, COVID hits, and then you're trying to develop or build out an app and, and share it amongst people. So can you kind of give us that perspective? Yeah. So uh, similar to Jerry, um, my two partners and I, we launched this business right as a pandemic hit last spring. Um, and so really the pandemic in a way helped us because A, we would never have the time to fully commit ourselves to this idea because my two partners and I were also uh, athletes at the time and that was right at the peak of our lacrosse season. So we would, we, our season got canceled. So we had more free time to do this. And so we were able to fully commit ourselves to this idea and really get a lot done during that quarantine period. And then next, um, I would say the importance of Zoom over that period was was very like crucial for us because we would have never gotten meetings with the people we got meetings with if it weren't for Zoom because we wouldn't have been able to travel and go to all these different places just to meet with these people. Um, and then lastly, I would say the pandemic really exaggerated the need for um, our product because more than ever now, students are looking for connectivity and everyone's kind of really looking for the sense of companionship. And that's really what we're trying to do here through uh, our app, Fuse Me. So in a way, we're kind of grateful for that pandemic for from a business perspective. So, Yeah, very similar to uh, Jerry and David. It's a bit of a uh, kind of a catch-22 or a double-edged sword in most situations where like there's positive and there's a negative. Uh, to David's point, like the need for what we're doing today is more than ever. And the problem, like we're focused primarily on a student sense of belonging um, and their ability to connect and engage with resources and scholarships and a community organizations and, and so on. And having to do that digitally or that being kind of the only medium to do so now has very much enhanced the, the problem that we're solving here and made more people aware, i.e. administrators who we're speaking to, of kind of the extent of this problem and how that affects uh, students' sense of belonging, how that affects their success in the classroom and um, a lot of these other things that we're focused on. So um, on one end, more people are aware of what's going on. More people are having this issue that we've been working towards, working to solve for a while now. But at the same time, you have budgets that are being slashed. Um, you have staff that uh, is being slashed. And um, a lot of the student life or student activities departments at these institutions that we're working with who prior had multiple staff members that we could communicate with and um, they could kind of divvy out tasks when it comes to rollout and implementation. Um, a lot of those people are a staff of one or two and they're actually being split between different departments. So it's been a bit more difficult to get conversations set up that we need and to get people to actually take the time to do what we need for them to roll product out. Um, but as we've gone through COVID, things have settled down to a degree or semesters have, have taken place and people have a better understanding of what's going on or how these remote semesters are, are kind of going to be executed. We've been able to get more conversations set up, more conversations are persisting. So it's kind of been something that we've really just had to weather the storm, like a lot of other people. Stuff has started to pick back up for us and we've got four partners now. We think we just closed our fifth earlier this week. So things are moving in the right direction, but at the same time, everything that I just said applies to investment. So um, we released betas last fall. We did well with those betas. We turned around, we've made a bunch of updates to the product um, over the course of the last six months. And we've said, we're not releasing product unless an institution is, is partnered with us and piloting with us. And we've needed to raise funds for some time now. And we've been out there doing that. COVID has made it difficult because very similarly, more people are looking towards ed tech and interested in higher education, ed tech investment. But at the same time, you have less people that are making pre-revenue investments. And we're only seeing small discretionary funds for our, our pilots with these partners. So 
in every situation, there's positive and there's negative, and we're just kind of trying to work through that. Specifically to the product development standpoint, or, or the question, we uh, have had the opportunity to speak with a bunch of different students and conduct a bunch of different focus groups, and that's allowed us to get a much better understanding of what we should be doing or what we should be thinking about from the student's perspective in terms of product development. And I personally think that's allowed us to make a, a lot of the uh, necessary updates to product that will allow us to be more successful with our partner pilots this year. And I, I wanted to have a, a follow-up question to that because you hit on something, Chris, and I wanted to ask Jerry and, and David. Uh, you all have products that are uh, tapping into areas or groups of uh, individuals that have had a pretty substantial impact by issues related to and around uh, COVID with students and people who have housing challenges. Has there been an impact on the product itself? Have you decided to make some changes, some adjustments, so on and so forth to what you were planning to do initially because of what has transpired over the last year? Yeah, so we um, we had a really interesting opportunity where primarily we were building for higher education, colleges, and universities. We had a high school pilot that was kind of just dropped in a lap through conversation. Um, a principal took a lot of interest in what we were doing and thought it would be relevant to uh, their school. And uh, we've had the opportunity to form that partnership, but that kind of created this gap within our product or, or kind of product life cycle, which is like going from high school to college could we fill the gap in there in some way, shape, or form, or be kind of this, this medium for transition to ease that transition? And that was a question for a, a long time that we really have the answer to or see how product could kind of fill that gap. And it was, it was right in front of us the whole time, but it took COVID to push us to figure out how we would actually do that. So now we're working um, and speaking with more admissions and enrollments and first-year experience um, orientation departments. And we're starting to figure out how we can kind of be this medium between the high school that's getting kids prepared for college and starting to connect them with uh, university advisors and so on, how we can be the platform that kind of fills the gap and allows university to connect with college students, very much streamline the admissions and the enrollment process. So that transition is a lot simpler for the student. For us at Renter Mentor, um, the biggest thing that happened was in terms of the effect of the demographics. Our platform is to service um, low to moderate income folks and people that are hard to house. So that are people with multiple evictions, people just as involved, um, people with Section 8 vouchers. Before the pandemic, it was very much a, a more of a homeless shelter housing authority solution. But what the pandemic showed me and what it did was that it exacerbated the housing crisis. It exacerbated the need for rental assistance and rental support. And therefore, the response to that was the CARES Act and the, the dollars that usually those rental assistance dollars would go to housing authorities, the city, the county to administer out they then expanded it to giving them to community-based organizations. Because as we all know, COVID-19 impacted you know, people of color the most. And the best way to authentically get the money quickly to those in need of it was to go through the community-based organizations. So your urban leagues, your impact action agencies, you know, your local churches, which therefore... For the first time, um, at least from my uh, industry knowledge, that this was the first time that community-based organizations were 
kind of forced to turn into housing agencies and administrators. What that means is when you get those federal dollars, a lot of federal dollars come with HUD regulations and there's certain ways to spend that. And you have agencies that were used to cutting maybe $700, $1,000 rental assistance or utility assistance checks to then getting, you know, $3 million, you know, for their small agencies to start cutting multiple $1,000, $3,000 checks to families in which they didn't, one, they didn't have the infrastructure to do or the staff to administer and get those funds out properly. So you had a lot of basically holdups in administrating those funds. A lot of funds went back to Washington, D.C. because they didn't get them out in time. When the package, when the CARES Act package passes, there is a certain amount of period that those entities have to administer those dollars and get those the, the money out to the people that, that needs it. If you don't, it goes back to Washington, D.C., and with that first round of the CARES Act packages, it really uh, it showed that a lot of money went back um, in terms of the housing crisis. And of course, they extended it. They gave people deadlines and things like that, um, extensions, I mean, to extend that out. But it really opened up our market to, to say all that um, mm-hmm. in terms of, all right, we were mainly focused at housing authorities and kind of shelters as those big dollars, those big contracts, and then property owners, of course. But it really showed that it was a market with our community-based organization and faith-based organizations too. So it opened up the market for us. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so my answer is gonna be a little shorter just because we actually made the product with the pandemic in mind since we started it mm. right to hit. And so a lot of the stuff we did in our app is actually catered specifically for the pandemic and how life's going to change post-pandemic. Um, but one specific change I will mention uh, was really just accommodating uh, like the kind of online environment of Zoom into our community event feed. So at first it was more for like in-person events um, on and around campus, but now we've really and incorporated some, some features that allow um, Zoom to be more accessible on our, on our community event feed. And it sounds like what you all, I just want to reiterate. So it sounds like what you all did was you had to take a, 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 a step beyond your initial target market to kind of understand the lay of the, the land and the landscape and, and understanding how you could, your, your particular solution could serve um, the need at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. So we're going to transition a, a little bit and, and dive into uh, some technical questions. Uh, I know we have a, a lot of individuals on here who are aspiring to be entrepreneurs and want to get some insight from you all um, with uh, what different things that you all have done um, as founders. Uh, and as we all know, and you all know um, that, you know, being an entrepreneur is, is complicated. It's tough. Um, you know, you guys are working, you know, 80, 100 hour weeks, you know, because a lot of times, you know, you are the only ones at the forefront, you know, getting your ideas um, off the ground and running. And so one of the things that uh, we've also seen just in this modern workforce is being able to um, have a skill set, not only um, a social skill set, but also a technical skill set um, that you're able to utilize in, in the marketplace. So what is, I guess, a valuable technical skill that you've maybe learned over this uh, period or even starting out that maybe you didn't think you needed? Um, so this isn't uh, technical in the in the sense of software development, um, but I've had to become basically a product designer for the last however many months and it's I love design 
my passion is the product. I've always enjoyed building product, innovating on product, speaking to users, taking that feedback into account, building off of it. Uh, but I've always kind of been the concept guy or the guy with ideas, not necessarily the person executing UI and UX. And it's been a completely different ballpark for me. And there's so many different things that I mean, I would have never uh, considered or, or would have thought about as I was going through an application or even coming up with uh, with new features and stuff like that for our application. But getting into the weeds of product design has really opened me up into um, how an application is so much more than a couple of different icons and a post that goes on a social feed. There's so much that goes into it. Um, there's so much psychology behind it. Um, so for me, I've really had to dive into um, understanding user psychology and trying to listen to our users as much as possible and trying to make the right decisions from a product improvement standpoint that will be solutions for the masses, not for a couple of individuals that say they don't like something or they wish that something else performed or looked a different way. For me, I'll say from a, a, a non-technical standpoint, the, the skill of verbal communication, uh, public speaking. I'm very much the behind the scenes type of guy where, you know, I'll have an idea and then I, I like to give it to the people who like to talk to execute, you know, and, and you know, be the face of things. Um, but with this being something that stemmed from my industry, um, I guess, of expertise is now everyone is saying that I had to be the, the face and I had to be the one to, you know, be on the calls, explain the problems, do all this thing, plus, you know, actually build, be in the business as well. So um, I'll say the, the face portion of it was different for me, and I'm still learning to do all of this. Um, like something that COVID did allow me to get more public speaking reps, I call them, with the amount of Zoom calls and just different opportunities that I was able to get throughout the pandemic. And I say, I literally said yes to everything last year in terms of speaking engagements, Jets for that reason of getting comfortable speaking. So I'm, believe it or not, I'm shy. I don't like talking like that. Um, so this is a great job. <laughs> I appreciate it. And then from a technical standpoint, I'll say just like Chris, for me, it was the whole product design. You know, mm -hmm. I have technical understanding, um, meaning I understand what's going on. If you explain a concept or, you know, methodology or something like that, I understand it, but I never really was the coder or, you know, didn't know much about the back and front and all of that. The whole product design process was new and, and learning for me. But I'll say out of it all, it was more the back to front end and, and realizing like how critical back end is when the developer um, was first showing me this stuff and how what code really was in terms of like the, fun, you know, how the functions and stuff. So I, I think that is what I kind of gravitated and took attraction to the most uh, throughout the development process last year. And I even got into some classes for data science to further my skills. I was like, I want to run scripts. I want to help with the testing and things like that. So um, I, I finished up my classes um, with, uh, I said, New Horizons uh, Learning Center for anyone who knows it's in Dublin. Um, but yeah, I, I've started that in August and I'll be done. And I have like nine different certificates for all different types of things. So I'll say that was the most intriguing thing that I've been able to pick up was uh, kind of the back end um, database management stuff. Yeah. So uh, something I'll touch on from a technology perspective was 
none of the three of us are technical co-founders. Um, so we had to hire on a, a software development team early on. And something we learned right away was just kind of the management process of them. So something we did that I think is really beneficial to, especially if, if, if uh, anyone in the audience out there is developing an app, I would recommend definitely creating um, a design book and wireframes prior to actually committing um, any money to the idea or even um, hiring on a, a coder or multiple software developers. But um, so that, that design book is basically just an outline of the features and the functionality of your app. And it's very specific because you don't want to, once you hand that design book off to your uh, software developer, you don't want to have to micromanage him on an hour by hour basis and making sure he's kind of had shares your vision. Um, and so I think that was definitely a, a big thing for us at first. And then just kind of as we've uh, went on in the journey, um, just making sure to uh, not not micromanage your your software development team in the sense that they kind of become annoyed or um, you kind of let, if they're pretty senior in our case, our software developers are pretty senior, like kind of let them have their freedom, but also uh, just make sure they're, they're completing their day-to-day -day requirements and they kind of are on the same, have the same mindset as you. So that's definitely a skill I've learned over the past year and a half. Um, in terms of like um, design books and wireframing, is that something that, uh, you know, Chris and Jerry, is that something that you all had going into this process? And, and, and how did you even learn how to do that? Really quickly to add to what David said, like from a project management standpoint, I, that's kind of where I started um, prior to the venture. I started getting my feet wet in project management um, mm -hmm. with software development. That's kind of where I fell in love with product and really mm -hmm. wanted to pursue that in kind of my own space. Um, all that being said, the, the communication that takes place between um, myself coming up with ideas to designer and then designer to developer it's all a little bit different. And like a designer, being a creative person, you can sit there and go back and forth and say like, the experience should look like this, or this is how, this is what I want to happen when somebody clicks on this tile and they can take it and they can run with it and they can ideate and they can come up with a couple of different things. From a software standpoint, you, you want to try to get it right the first time. You don't want to have to go back in, continue revising, 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 changing what you built the first time. And over the years, I've learned that there is no real such thing as over communication when it comes to trying to communicate designs to a software yeah. developer, the more information, the more detail, the more specific you can be in terms of how something works, um, the closer you're going to get to whatever you drummed up in your head. Um, so just kind of a, a tip leading off of what David said, but from a design standpoint um, with wireframes, we, uh, we started as a collaborative study application and we kind of just threw ourselves into the deep end and started designing and then pushed to development. And we didn't take the time to speak to um, potential users to even run somebody through uh, a prototype and a vision or a Figma or something of the sort that would allow us to um, identify a bunch of the issues um, or things that weren't necessary upfront rather than we went and spent money um, on development like David has talked about. So uh, as we go into new dev sprints now, um, there's always conversation of what are we trying to accomplish here? At a very high level, what do we want this thing to look like? Not worried about details in terms of font or color or anything of the sort. Just try to get kind of the utility components of it out and you can build on top of that. And if you go through a process of wireframing to prototyping to user testing and you can revise through the prototyping and the wireframing process prior to the development, then hopefully when you go and you spend the money on development, it's what people are looking for and it's exactly what you were hoping for. But that was something that we had to kind of get through through trial and error and us making the mistakes of not doing that up front and then burning money that we shouldn't have. As I spoke to at the beginning, um, we did 
uh, a couple of hackathons and um, I did a 14 week accelerator where that's kind of where I got, especially the first hackathon, which was um, called Give Back Hack. Um, if anyone has heard of it, um, we did that. Well, I did that. That's where I first pitched the idea. And that's where I got the design thinking, you know, um, concept um, and, and introduced to me. Um, before that, I never knew about design thinking. Then, you know, product design, I didn't know any of that. And with that being said, we ended up winning that pitch competition. And the founder of that organization, Susie Barrero, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. She is one of the founding team members of Cover My Meds. And after we won that money, you know, in my head, it was, we're about to build it out and we're, we're out of here, you know. Um, but she wanted to have a conversation with me because we had uh, talked about me. I was like, I really don't know what I'm doing in terms of this tech, you know, this tech product. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, you know, it was in my it was supposed to be a mobile application. That's that's what we're doing. We're about to build out this mobile app, mobile mm-hmm. app. We won this money. I'm thinking we're about to just go get cut my check. Let me build it out. And right, the talk right. with her um, really just was she gave me that the cover my med story of them basically burning um, about a million dollars or so and having wow. to throw the product away. And, you know, cause it didn't do what it was supposed to do for the customers. And right. hearing that story, you know, we didn't have, I think at that time it was $7,500 that we had, <laughs> you know? So I was like, well, we don't have a million dollars to just throw away and then not be usable. And that's kind of um, when we talked about the, the process of, of wireframes and things like that. So we uh, went from the initial kind of like prototype was literally a hack from that weekend, which was like us hacking like Zillow and then putting in little features and icons that we wanted to add and then making it usable from there. And went from that um, for, for like a, like a demo to Adobe InDesign, which is a wireframe software and it basically allows you to wait, lay it out like a regular wireframing, you know, software would do. But then it allows you to basically put it in the order in which it would function if it was actually coded out. Um, and that's where we did a lot of testing of just does this make sense of what we're asking? Um, does the flow make sense of the, what the next screen was? Um, so that was actually a very fun product. And I was I remember getting that that InDesign uh, link. And then it literally fills up your phone as if you just downloaded the app and everything and, and motions. Um, so I was so excited about that. I was like, we got tech. Um, and then to look at now, what that wireframing did allowed us to realize that we didn't need a, we didn't need a mobile app right away. We needed a web application. And for those who are thinking mobile app first, I will highly consider, uh, will recommend you consider going web first, um, especially if you're building it from scratch, like how we are doing. Go web first because it's cheaper. And essentially the the API from your web application is the foundational of any mobile application that's going to be used from there on out. Uh, So yeah, so that was just, uh, I'll say a small pivot from uh, just the learnings of those uh, InDesign websites. So wireframing is definitely key. Awesome. And I think we have a quick question of, from the audience. Individual stated, uh, what is the best way to connect with investors and mentors for first-generation entrepreneurs? I would treat them a little bit differently, like people that you're going to reach out to for uh, 
advising or mentorship, um, you engage a little bit differently than you would somebody from an, an investment standpoint. Neither one is to say informal or formal, but with an investor, um, especially with cold outreach, it's a matter of trying to get out um, in a very high level um, the information that makes your company look the absolute best and, and your traction look good. It's it's a very it's almost like an elevator pitch in an email um, or a voicemail that you leave or a LinkedIn message um, that's really going to wow somebody and get somebody to take interest to check out your website or look at a product demo or something like that that's eventually going to lead to them setting up a phone call or having an initial conversation. Um, and that's mm-hmm. going to be your cold investor outreach. And, and from a uh, warm investor standpoint, we often, uh, if we have somebody who's going to make an intro for us, we have what we call affordable. Um, so it's very similar to that cold outreach. Um, we just take the time to provide a little bit more information, given the fact that somebody has kind of accepted um, our intro. That's typically what play- takes place. So you have person A that says, hey, I want to make an intro to person B. Let me reach out to them. And person B says yes. We then send forwardable over to person A that then allows them to forward that message over with all of the information directly from myself on the company, my contact information, they can reply directly to that. But then the person that's making that forward um, or forwarding over for us can add some information about like, here's why I think you should be talking to Chris, or here's why I like Studium, or here's why I think this would be a good investment. Um, And that's going to be our warm uh, investor outreach. And then from a mentorship or advisor um, position, Honestly, you can approach it a bit more cold than a lot of those investor intros. Like, of course, there's going to be relevance in there in terms of like what their experience is or their background. But there's a lot of people that we've just reached out to to say, hey, I'm a first time founder. I'm young. Or as you're, you're asking, I'm a first generation founder and I could really use some advice. I would really love a sounding board, bounce my ideas off and help me make better decisions. And a lot of people understand that. Most times those people have been in those positions. Um, similar, like I, I think back about any opportunity I have to do something like this or have conversations with, with younger founders, mm-hmm. young founders like myself, there's so many different things that people like that can help you avoid um, that you just don't know because you haven't had the experience. So if there's somebody that you think would be a great addition as an advisor or a mentor, just send something very genuine via email or via LinkedIn and hope for the best. A lot of the points that uh, that Chris mentioned, I, I would have to agree with in terms of just like the email setup and, and how you want to keep your pitch short and concise and really just get, cause they don't want to be reading these long emails. They just want to kind of an eye catcher to get them, draw them in and then tell them more about your company. If you guys set up a meeting. Um, but that was just from an investor standpoint, also from an investor standpoint, make sure that anyone you're meeting with, you're going to do your research before, cause they don't want to get into a meeting and then you not even be able to tell them why you're not, why you're a good fit for their company. They're going to ask you those hard questions. So make sure you're um, very prepared for the meeting. And then from a, a board perspective and a mentorship perspective, I'd really just say start with before doing cold um, outreaches or outreach to your to mentors, I would definitely leverage your network. So start with the Ohio State community and, and look to alumni, um, either in Fisher or just alumni of Ohio State and see who would be willing to do that because they would be a lot more willing to help and it'd be easier to get in contact with them than just a, a, a random person in your industry. And then when you're forming an advisory board, I would look to um, kind of target individuals in certain industries. So for us, we try to target two to three individuals in the higher ed space, um, two to three individuals kind of in the uh, general entrepreneurship space, and then um, kind of the more business finance side of things. And so really try to form a a diverse advisory board that's not just um, like focused on one aspect of your business. As you're thinking about both the technology and the the business aspect of your business, I want to 
ask you all, how are you planning for the scalability and sustainability of the business going forward? From a, a feature and functionality standpoint, I somebody gave me an analogy about like building product. And uh, it was, if you take pizza around to a bunch of different meetings um, and you have individual meetings and you ask everybody what they want on the pizza and they pick one topping and then you take the pizza back to the table with everybody around it and you tell them to eat a piece, most likely everybody's going to say, no, that looks gross. And it, it's relevant from a product development standpoint because you'll have so many different conversations. You should be with users that are highly engaged on the application, somewhat engaged, signed up, but never become active. And then speak to people that aren't downloading or aren't using the app. Um, and you're going to have a hundred different reasons as to why they're using it and why they aren't. You've got to be able to kind of um, digest all of that information and, and not get caught up on like a minute feature or minute function that a couple people may want, but not be something that's necessarily scalable or what the entirety of the, the user population wants. So it's very much a balance game. I feel like as we're, we're having more conversations and we're getting more feedback on, on the application, my concern is always that balance game. Are we doing enough or are we doing too much? Um, and I think you can very much get caught into the weeds of people just telling you like, oh, I would use it if you had this feature or mm -hmm. I don't like this feature, but a bunch of other people do. So that's, that's a tricky game to play with software, like scalability um, mm -hmm. is always going to be an issue um, in terms of users, data, uh, what servers you're using, um, a lot of the technical stuff that I don't really know how or why. Um, I just know how it's affected or what the results are when we have way too many people on the app doing too many things and stuff starts to run slower. We start to experience bugs. Um, we just like primarily a, a lot of the work that we've been doing over the last six months was optimization, um, images loading faster, cleaning up the entirety of the back end so it runs more efficiently. We have less code that has to be read. So I think you're, you're never in a position where um, you're done building product and you're never in a position where you're done optimizing product. I think it's kind of always a work in progress. Um, and I think how product evolves and, and, and how product scales is going to be different for every product in, in, in every industry really just kind of depends on what you're trying to accomplish and how many different user types you have that need to be able to do different things. Gotcha. And we have, do have a, another uh, quick question from the audience. Uh, individual asked, uh, what has been the most successful moment for you so far in developing your app? For the past uh, 13, 14 months, um, everything's kind of led up to user testing. And so we recently conducted user testing at multiple schools across the country. And that was kind of a surreal experience for us to actually get our app out to the audience. Um, and kind of something I'll add on, on the last question you guys brought up was just, I would definitely prove uh, market appetite before you commit any money to that idea. So like we went through two phases of proving that. So at first was, we kind of did an initial market validation by sending out a survey to um, over 1500 college students across the country, just validating the actual problems that we're solving. And then also through our user testing recently, we've done multiple phases of user testing and you don't want to add any new functionality or anything like that just because you think as a founder, it will help the user. You really want to make sure that the users feel that as well before you just spend additional money and you can kind of get in that cycle, endless cycle of just spending money, even if the user doesn't need it. Um, and so I would say uh, really the most successful moment for us is just kind of seeing the app in the user's hands and then just getting that initial feedback and, and hearing what, what they think of it and um, how they think it'd be better and um, just really them liking it so far. So. Oh, I don't have much to, you know, really add to that because I'm the type of person that 
just seeing my this idea just unfold every time something technical like I, said, I was excited about the wireframes and the InDesign, <laughs> you know so every time that you know my developers bring me something or that i can go on the website and do something a lot of and that's the hardest thing for us is a lot of things that we're doing right now we're still very much in prototyping and testing phase so before we're sending them out onto the you know the main website we're very much testing it right now so mm-hmm. you know our website may not look like much but to be on the back end of that and to be testing it and to seeing like okay this is what's to come and what people have you know coming their way is to me every step and this is literally what i told my team on our weekly meeting on sunday was like we're one step closer every time that i, I you know we get something it's one step closer so that's how i i kind of take the development standpoint because it's the true I'm, i have no control over that because i'm not the developer so it's like i'm truly like stripped of you know vulnerability power all that stuff so it's like it's it's in the the hands of my team so um i think it's one of the it's a learning experience for me um, but i'm definitely grateful for every advancement that we have what resources uh have you been able to uh, tap into here in central ohio i mean chris and, and david you're um you know you're you're connected to osu so you have resources there uh, but Jerry, you talked about Give Back Hack. We kind of have a, a, a really underrepresented startup community here in, in Central Ohio. I mean, you talk about Cover My Meds, and that's a now a multi-billion dollar company that started, you know, right here. So what resources have you all been able to tap into both here at, uni- at the university at the, and, and in the region at large that have been able to help you spur your, your idea and your business along? So outside of Give Back Hack, we did um, C-Change, which stands for Social Enterprise Accelerator. That's a 14-week accelerator there. It's free. Sign up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we won uh, a nice little check from them as well. Outside of the kind of incubator accelerator scene, I'll say the Columbus Urban League has been um, a, a nice assist to us. The PTAC, so we're dealing with a lot of municipalities and governments. So knowing the procurement system, there's an organization called PTAC that offers a lot of free services and and teaches you how to get procurement ready and to be able to get those contracts with the federal government and other institutions like, like that. And we talk about OSU. So speaking of OSU, we have been engaged with um, the student consultant nonprofit organization on your campus is a student organization. And we've been engaged with them for the last three months. So it's literally since we started our business, there are student consultants that do good ass work. And I'm talking <laughs> about on a, a on a, a different type of levels, all type of things that you want to do, stuff that when I'm sitting in the like their general body meeting and I'm hearing some of their presentations, I'm looking, I'm like, organizations are letting you build out your, the database and this, that, and that, like unbelievable things that this group does um, that has helped us get a lot of, I'll say grunt work done. Um, I'm not one to assign um, kind of like just stuff that I, I feel like I'm too good to do. You know, I assign stuff that, you know, if I had time to do it, I would be doing it. Um, and I feel like, um, they have definitely been good at scooping all that stuff up. So, um, SCNO, 
check them out. I would say since I'm just a freshman here, I haven't been able to fully exhaust kind of that Midwest network and the Ohio network in general, but um, some definitely some resources at the university that I've taken advantage of. Uh, first, I would say kind of just my immediate professor network. So some of our user testing was actually conducted through the entrepreneurship school here. And so um, in certain classes, we were able, I was able to get in touch with the professors and leverage and basically leverage my connection with them to get user testing with those students. Um, that was very helpful. And then also just a handful of accelerators in, in the Midwest. And then also we've been talking to some uh, venture capital firms in the Midwest that are very powerful as well. Uh, one thing I uh, wanted to ask you all, um, you all are visionaries. I'm sure you guys are always looking to the future. What do you guys want your company's you know, legacy to be um, when it's all said and done? The, I mean, the big thing for us is, is helping students be more successful. Ultimately, we want more students going on having college career that not only successful from the point of academics or the education, uh, but also the experience and the relationships that, that you build, kind of soaking all of it up. But setting students up um, to be successful post-graduation, a big part of that is trying to get kids across the finish line. So for us, the, the, the big impact is, is trying to um, increase graduation rates and retention rates. Um, and as we work towards that, um, the focus will likely become more on how do we provide more education or more value through um, the college experience, or how can we form more, more connections within uh, the campus community, the local community, to employers, um, to workshops, whatever that may look like. But big thing for us is just trying to provide as much value to the student as possible. For Renter Mentor, uh, outside of just connecting people to home, to, you know, making it easy, easier to connect to, you know, affordable housing, um, you know, our goal is to just overall just connect to opportunity. Um, there's a lot of things that we have in the long term for our platform that, you know, this demographic has not been able to experience. So if you look at, you know, the, the prop tech space in which we're trying to serve, you know, there's Zillow, there's Hot Pads, you know, there's Trilio, there's all these different private mainstream market solutions that have not trickled down to serving this demographic and outside of the basic you know, needs to help them service the basic connection standpoint. There's other opportunities in which technology um, can bring to this demographic, whether it's transportation, whether it's food, whether it's job opportunities. Um, and this in which we see our platforms can be conduits of all mm -hmm. of that in certain ways. Um, so right. we're excited and even, you know, producing more housing in terms of investments and how investors invest in properties. Um, so we have a lot really on our kind of vision, our future agenda. Um, but right now we're just focusing on mastering the basics and then getting pretty funky um, as we, we master the, the basics there. So that's just kind of the overall is to continue making it easier to connect to housing and then just overall providing um, access to opportunities um, to this demographic. Yeah. And for us, I would say, our main goal is just to elevate the student's college experience in each aspect as much as possible. Um, and so for us, like we're really trying to eliminate the, the Facebook accept student group chats, the large and personal discussion boards where people you're just scrolling through endlessly to try to find um, and make connections prior to getting on campus. So we're trying to make that transition as stress-free and smooth as possible. And then once they're on campus, just trying to make the student have as, as best of experience on, on campus as possible and, and make lifelong best friends. Well, Chris, David, Jerry, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today uh, to give us some insight in your uh, into your journey 
to be uh, entrepreneurs, being CEOs, and to uh, taking the kind of combining the the tech and the the talent and the forethought to to come up with something that's a, a solution for a lot of different people. So we appreciate you not only sharing with us, but sharing with all the students that are on the uh, on the session today. Thank you all again, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys' successes uh, continue in the future. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Digital From Day One podcast. Make sure to visit our website at go.osu.edu forward slash digital day one. That's the number one, where you can find out how to subscribe, more information about our guests, and more information about our team. As always, we love to know what you think. Use the feedback form on the website or shoot us an email at digitalfromdayone at osu.edu. The one is actually spelled out here. Or simply give us a rating on iTunes. And we'd appreciate if you tell a friend about our little show here too. I'm Joel Nelson, along with Brendan Dickerson, and let's continue to make the connections to Opportunity Stronger. Until next time, everybody.